0: Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now this week I have the Saatchi Gallery's talk from early March where artist in residence Kate Doherty and Egyptologist at the University of Oxford Manon Schutz speak about the Tutankhamun exhibition and explain some of the prominent symbology in Egyptian art and then we've got a little bit art in the news. Mostly corona related, sorry, but I have tried to keep it uplifting as well. So how is everyone doing? This is tough, isn't it? This whole isolation thing. I've been speaking to my partner about it all and he's taking great comfort in the fact that everyone in the whole world is going through this at the same time and I'm trying to take lessons from the fact that I think only a global pandemic could have probably shown me that I sometimes just need to slow down and um, maybe do some yoga which I don't ever think I'm actually going to be very good at <laughs> but I do really hope that there's going to be a new appreciation for what we have in this world when this is all over. Hopefully a renewed sense of compassion and love for our planet and our fellow humans too so fingers crossed for that. So this talk at the Sarch Gallery in early March was a really wonderful chance to get to grips with some of the symbology of ancient Egyptian art and culture. Artist in residence Kate Daugherty, who did a wonderful job of explaining how she connected with the ancient culture in order to create her wonderful response works. And Manon Schutz, who is a Egyptologist at the University of Oxford did an incredible job of explaining the themes of the exhibition in their context. She explains the symbology behind the bed in ancient Egypt and the idea that both sleep and death are a transitional state, which you either wake up or are reborn from. So the talk was made just before the coronavirus really took hold, as I mentioned, this early March. So it does reference it also within the context of art and Egyptology, which I thought was particularly interesting. So... Here is Kate and Manon discussing ancient Egyptian art at the Saatchi Gallery in London.
1: So, uh, hello. Thank you very much Nicola and Annie for inviting us. Um, This is Manon.
2: Well, yeah, my name is Manon Schutz and I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Oxford and Kate... I'm an artist.
1: I have um, an exhibition upstairs uh, in response to the treasure of Tutankhamun. So I've been studying ancient. Egyptian for a year and Manon has been studying it for all her life so uh, Manon how did you get interested in ancient Egypt since she's now one of the very distinguished Egyptologists in the UK along with
2: <laughs> not really our but, um, so in my case I um, well when I was very very little actually I wanted to become a paleontologist so I was fascinated by dinosaurs and my family just picked up while well, she's interested in old stuff and bought me books um, about history in general, and there was Egypt. So, when I was seven years old, I told my parents, "When I'm an adult, I will become an Egyptologist." And my father always said, "Of course you will." But well, here I am. <laughs> um, I will hopefully submit my PhD next month, um, and there's, I guess, no going back.
1: It's pretty cool. How many Egyptologists are there in the UK at the moment? Do oh, would you say I, not I that
2: many, know. no. Well, there are some. I, I don't know about numbers. Do you know about numbers? I think in,
0: in post, there's probably yeah. only a few dozen in the whole country. Yeah, <laughs> but like students,
2: no, student numbers is always um, much higher. Um, some will remain in Egyptology. Some will do something else. Yeah. So it's always hard to say how, how many people are actually in Egyptology. But many, many have interests like you. Mm. But this interest came through the exhibition here, right? It was not something that you always had.
1: So I wasn't interested in ancient Egypt particularly before I started this body of work. Um, And I was looking to be really interested because actually I found ancient Egyptian art quite alienating they 're very beautiful and graceful and um, and perfect and there 's this wonderful gentleness I think, to the line, but i couldn 't kind of associate those beautiful people and those stories with I mean, it sounds really childish, but with me so how how could I invest my heart and soul in something that was just abstract? And so I was reading a lot and, um, and looking a lot into the subject, and f- came across this podcast that was made by this uh, this now friend of mine, who introduced me to Manuel, who um, who very kindly when I, I wrote to him and said I'd love to uh, learn more about ancient Egypt, and uh, thinking that he might write to me and say you know well you know, maybe one day. Um, I mean, I didn't even think he'd say that. I don't know what I thought he'd say. But, um, but in fact, he invited me to the Griffith Institute where Manol works, uh, gave me my own PhD student, Ellen Jones, who taught me basic hieroglyphs and amused me enormously. And uh, she's a great archery specialist. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and now also introduced me to, 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 to Manol. And so I became... Completely passionate about ancient Egypt, and Ellen taught me some very basic hieroglyphs. I learned all about the ancient um, beliefs in the the life and the afterlife, and faith and science. And um, and Manol is doing her PhD on a subject that I'm particularly interested in, which is dreams and uh, beliefs about the underworld and the afterlife. So,
2: yeah. So I. I, my research is about beds in the funerary context. Um, so when I say beds, of course, everyone has a bed. Everyone needs to sleep. And it's something is so familiar for us. And a lot of people just assume, because we have still these same objects that look the same, um, that it's actually, it was the same in ancient Egypt. And I wanted to look um, at why did Egyptians have so many beds in the funerary context. So you find them either outside of coffins, carrying the coffin, or inside of coffins. And actually, in Tutankhamun's case, what some people don't know and what you actually can't see here in the exhibition, his three anthropomorphic coffins were carried by a bat within his sarcophagus. So this bat carried a huge amount of weight, and it's incredible because I think only the outer coffin is already over 100 kilos. And it's so, for me, so fascinating to see this bed carry this for such a long time. And it's still intact. It's a bit bent, um, where you can see it's that... It's pretty bent. However. Yeah, <laughs> where you can see the weight pushed it down. But still, it, it did its work and it carried these. And um, if you have been to the exhibition, you see there's, they have one bed of his. So he had 10 in his tomb. And the bed they have here was probably one that he would have used during his everyday life. And when we think about sleep and death, they are not so different after all because when you sleep, you're not really responsive. You, you don't eat, you don't drink, you usually don't talk, although I'm supposed to apparently talk in my sleep, but that's something different. And the same applies to death. So they are both like transitional stages that you want to overcome So when you sleep, you want to wake up in the morning, and when you die, you want to be reborn. And so bats have actually like a very solar symbolism, so they don't only, uh, uh, suppose not only to protect you during the night, during your sleep, or during death, but also to guarantee your rebirth. Please, would you explain about the goddess (laughs) Nut? Yeah, so there's um, the sky goddess Nut, who is not only the sky goddess but also she can be the coffin um, and behind this is a symbolism of um, swallowing the sun every night in order to give birth to it again in the morning because in the night the sun is not there you can't see it so they imagined this: this sky goddess who swallows it so the sun travels through her um, body and is reborn um, the next morning And actually, so the coffin has the same function of swallowing the deceased and give birth to him again in the morning. And beds connect into the same symbolism because the same goddesses that represent coffins also represent um, the beds, which again shows this is a whole unity. And it's this thought of the mother, um, of the matriarchal image of afterlife as such, because they are women, they are mothers that take care of the deceased.
1: And, the, and they're in the shape of a mother so, that, so the idea is that the bed is a, is, is, a, is a mother figure from which you are reborn in the morning also no? yeah. and, um, and there's um, if you look at the bed upstairs um, I had the great good fortune of going around with Manon and she showed me the little uh, fierce devils on the side of the who's that? Bazout? base and um, Yeah. so who are they?
2: So um, they are gods that are traditionally linked to um, more in everyday life context, so protected deities, especially connected to mothers and children during childbirth. But they also are strongly connected to sleep um, in general. So they are apropaic. They protect you again during sleep, but also during death um, from every... May, every mean entity like demons or revenants, um, because again when you sleep it 's very dangerous you are very vulnerable because you 're non responsive so the bat upstairs, which is, as I said, um, a bat he would probably have used during his everyday life, you can see that on each side at each corner, you have a base, and then on the footboard you have more base dts um, and you have toettes, so he 's protected on every side. Um, on while he would have been lying on his bed.
1: And with the feet also. Um, mm. So the, 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 the beds and often the furniture had little
2: um, yeah. paws. Yeah?
1: Yeah. Uh, could you explain about
2: that? Well, so you have at the beginning in pre-dynastic times, you had mostly bovine. Um, feet and later on leonine so the bats you have upstairs has leonine feet and not only bats also chairs for instance Uh, you can see these little paws why? because again they are goddesses they are not just furniture and they are there to protect you and um, the cow as well as the lioness are very closely connected to motherhood so um, it's again the bat as such is more than just the furniture more than what just meets the eye and I think that's really interesting to see how, such a for us nowadays such an absolute ordinary basic piece of furniture had such a deep meaning, and in a way um, also it connects the ancient Egyptians to us because you said at the beginning you didn't have this this connection to them, but still they had like the same fears, um, the same issues than we have nowadays. And this
1: is the thing um, also that you were saying about um, during their dreams that the ancient Egyptians believed that they went into the afterlife, in fact. Mm -hmm. So you, you were half dead when you were asleep. Is that right? Yeah. Um, which is um, which is also so interesting when you think about mummification and the different um, uh, the different gateways so when you die you 're uh, mummified and then you 're buried in your tomb and then you pass through a series of doors um, and you have special spells that you 're given um, and that are written inside the inside the sarcophagus with you and so you 're given everything that you need in order to pass through different phases but same thing even just for sleep you you go to sleep you you say a special prayer you're surrounded by monsters and gods who are going to keep you safe and um uh, and this this belief is is very um uh, it's very gentle there's a closeness to nature if you think of these people who lived at the mercy of the stars and the moon and the weather and they didn't really understand how all of these things were happening to them of course they had to um, they wanted to make friends with the natural world and 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 um, and adapt to it and adapt it to what they needed. You know? and I think there's something so beautiful about that, and also so so modern, or at least hopefully modern soon. <laughs> it seems <laughs> it seems like uh, uh, when when I think about this uh, this closeness to nature and this this uh, sweetness of disposition um even upstairs in the in this uh show that i did there's um there's a letter from a pharaoh who is complaining about some eye makeup that he's he's been sent and it's it's really touching you know he's it's like an old lady writing to john lewis and going you know i bought this toaster and it's it's really not good enough and could you just please take it back? But he's the pharaoh, you know. You have this idea of these pharaohs that sort of you know going around and chopping everyone's head off and parting the seas as uh, people parting the seas to right, get away from them and so on. But but actually they were they were quite courteous and 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 gentle for the most part, weren't they? And and uh, and and. And curiously, weak, they were, they were, they were intermarried from the, the whole of the, the reign since the beginning of ancient Egypt. Would you explain, sorry, I'm not getting really interested, the chaos, and, the, and then out of this comes the god who has the children. Um, and this explains why they were always married to their brother and sister in ancient Egypt. This.
2: Well, so the, the intermarriage... Um Especially is um, to keep the line pure, as well, especially in the Eighteenth Dynasty to which Tutankhamun belongs. Um, so, in two thousand and ten, Zaya was did DNA testing on several mummies, and he found the mummies, or he tested mummies, and found out that they are the parents of Tutankhamun. So the problem is we have the mummies, but we don't know who these mummies. So, they have no inscriptions or anything, were not accompanied by any description, Was supposed to be forgotten. And this DNA testing showed that um, Tutankhamun's parents were full siblings, so both were um, children of Amenhotep III and Teye, and, um, which might also explain why Tutankhamen was of such a weak disposition. But um, again, so that's something that you don't find with ordinary people. But it's really something in, in the royal houses. Another example is, for instance, the Ptolemies, where it's very well known that they married half siblings or full siblings, again to keep this line as pure as possible. And this is, of course, also a divine um, archetype, because you have, for instance, Osiris, that was mentioned before, and Isis. They were again, they were siblings. So, and it's something that you actually don't only find in in ancient Egypt, but also in Greece, when you think about Zeus and Hera, they are also siblings. So it's something about um, gods, but also royals, which as such are a kind of divine being. So this marrying of full siblings keeps your line pure.
1: And something also that you were telling me the other day that, I found very beautiful is this idea of um, of uh, chaos and out of chaos comes the world that is so beautiful that we know and, uh, and order and um, and and so the ancient Egyptians believed. Uh, would you tell your story about yeah. chaos and then the hill and the frogs and everything? It's <laughs> so interesting. Well, so. and reassuring, <laughs> especially now.
2: So, yeah, there's. Um, so, Egypt, as such, has, of course, um, some like, like capitals um, or like main big cities. And every city wanted um, to be kind of the, the, the spot of the first creation. So, and every city had like a slightly different version. But in general, you have to imagine you have like the, the primordial ocean, the noon, out of which rises um, the primordial hill. Some say, well, there's a lotus flower that comes out of it, the sun coming out of the lotus flower. You have creator gods, different creator gods, who um, create other gods in different ways. Some ways might be a bit, well, special for us nowadays. So there's the god, um, a tomb, for instance, who um, masturbates, and um, sometimes his hand is seen as the female counterpart. And out of this semen comes the first divine couple. Um, a variation of this is that he actually um, takes his semen in his mouth, he spits it out, and that's um, how it comes into being. So something that's a bit like, seems foreign to us. But um, there's also the myth of the cow, Mahadwetad, so the great flood coming out of this. And we heard before with the Book of the Heavenly Cow, so cows as mother... um, um, mother archetype as such so the cow bringing the sun up into the sky and so there are lots of different myths um, that coexisted um, not, are not as such mutual, uh, mutually exclusive for us sometimes we think well it seems like an opposite but um, it didn't work like that but um, so earth is created but there's always the, the danger that earth might also go back into chaos so Pharaoh especially had to, to protect this. Um, the temples, the gods, um, everything had its order and everything had its rituals to protect and prevent earth from going back to chaos. And that's, um, yeah, so it's, it's very important to worship in temples. Do you think there are any
1: lessons that we can learn from ancient Egypt that might be applied to 2020 in
2: London with our exciting chaos that we have? Well, I... But I all around us. Especially now considering um, everything, um, we can see that earth can go back to chaos. And I think we we should try to prevent um, some things at least from going back into a more chaotic state. Uh, But also this quite interesting thing
1: about humility which is that um, uh, they associate in ancient Egypt um, uh, peacefulness, chaos, emptiness that there aren't any there aren't any people Um, and sometimes I, I wonder about this when people talk now about the the environment and all of these questions that we're looking at now with our planet. And I think people talk about the earth as though the earth and mankind are extremely intertwined and um, and that if if we perish and die out, then that's the end of the world. And that's that's, that's not correct it'll just be the end of mankind <laughs> and, uh, and there's something kind of uh, I don't know doing all of this uh, learning about ancient Egypt has given me a really interesting perspective uh, I've always been a bit of a long termist but, but studying these ancient cultures um, puts a really interesting kind of spacey shine on how everything is connected and how uh, how much we have to learn from history, actually. No?
2: And also you mentioned humility. I mean, when we think about Tutankhamen, we think, of course, like everywhere the glint of gold. But um, especially your art, and you can see actually an example of Kate's beautiful art in the corner there. So you, you don't use gold, for instance, or like precious materials. No, I, wanted, um, part of my, I wanted my response
1: to the treasure of Tutankhamen to be very... Um, quiet and um, and contemporary, and using really basic, humble materials, like um, paper from the post office and paint and uh, felt, which for me symbolizes redemption and uh, And so, yes, there's no gold or precious stones in my show.
2: (laughs) But um, also, now that you learned so much about ancient Egypt, so this reaction to Tutankhamen, do you think that's it? Or do you want to take your Egypt fascination a bit further and maybe use it in new artworks like did it help you to, to have more creative ideas? Oh, yeah.
1: So now I'm, like, pestering Manor all the time about all this stuff. Could you send me... You
2: Remember you told me that
1: thing about the tree? Could you just, could you just send me a bit of information about that? And uh, she's not the only one. So there's a whole host of people all over universities in the UK being like, uh, oh, God, it's hurricane. You know, so. And so... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, no, definitely. And I'm going to do a big new body of work about chaos, which I'm quite excited. I'm really into, I think about it when I, for the sort of two and a half minutes that I listen to the radio now, because I actually kind of can't deal with it. I don't know about you, but I listen to the tweet of the day, the headlines, and then I turn it off and uh, <laughs> but certainly um, thinking about it in the context of ancient Egypt is, is so interesting and also ancient Egyptologists you should all make friends with Egyptologists because they're some of the really really amusing gang of people that you ever come across you know and you get people coming up to go hi I'm the mummy specialist from the British Museum. <laughs> you're like, oh. yeah. And, <laughs> and having these hilarious conversations where you're kind of discussing whether or not you could tell that Tutankhamun had a club foot after 3,500 years, bless you, uh, and so on. You know, it's just a, it's very amusing, just sort of, uh, it's a very amusing sub subsection of the world. It's really, uh, uh, notably Manon, who's just uh, a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, the word you're looking for is weird <laughs> no, I don't think it's weird but anyway, and like, the first time I met her she was wearing jewellery, all this Egyptian jewellery with all these eyes on and everything uh, that were the exact same colour of her eyes and I couldn't even really look at her unfortunately I had to look at the screens and everything so and you, what are you going to do next so you're going to give in your PhD then we're going to finish the, the, you're going to give in your PhD you're going to get a first and then what?
2: i mean everything is a bit chaos (laughs) so uh, the job situation as an egyptologist is not always great so i i have to see what comes up um but there are a lot of of different i mean i love I'm very passionate about egypt so there are a lot of different things i could imagine working as long as they have to do something to do with egypt but what exactly comes next i I have no idea
1: (laughs) maybe she could become a witch that would be really cool. There's all the there's, a, there's another the first thing that you look at we, all the really weirdo uh, uh, books that there are about spells and sort of things. That, I'm just kidding. I don't think she's brilliant. I certainly have the hair right. I'm going to start plaiting your hair soon. Anyway, thank you. I think that's thank enough. You. We should
0: go into a quiet room and deal with ourselves. I hope you enjoyed that talk. I thought it was really good for putting some of the ideas into context. Ancient Egyptian culture can be a little bit complicated to understand with all the gods and the symbols and um, different animals, meaning different things. It's a little bit complicated, but I thought Manon did a great job of explaining things and Kate did a fantastic job of relating it to how she sees the world and how art can be a vehicle for exploring quite uh, complex subjects. So I hope you enjoyed that. Now, We've got a little bit of time for Art in the News and I love using artnews.com website to find out what is afoot in the art world and here are some of their headlines. So New York is planning a virtual freeze fair to replace the annual fair that was scheduled to open on May the 6th. There are expected to be up to 200 artists exhibiting but now artists can have up to 30 works in what they're calling a virtual booth. The director of Freeze New York, Loring Randolph, said... While the viewing room could never replace the meaningful connections that come from being with each other physically or experiencing an artwork in person, I hope that the digital version of Freeze New York will inspire our community to come together in the same way our fair does in support of artists, galleries, and nonprofits from around the world. Now, we know that New York is having a particularly hard time right now, so I really hope that this is a chance for people to connect and for people to experience art. Um, in in a way that can uplift them and that can bring them a sense of hope and a sense of joy as well. I think that is so important right now. So the same news outlet has also suggested that Titan's Renaissance masterpiece Pieta from around 1576, which depicts Venice struggling to cope with the bubonic plague outbreak, is perhaps an accurate representation of the health crisis we are experiencing today. So have a little Google of this image, Titans Pieta from 1576 or around that time. And I thought it was really interesting how we can find ways to connect with artists, even as far back as... 16th century and even earlier i mean we had a plague in britain in the 14th century and those images of human suffering are still very and rather tragically relatable to us now so it is interesting how those narratives from so far back are having a prominence today as well so do you kind of google some of those images really interesting to look at and you know i said i was going to keep it uplifting so my final piece of art in the news is that matthew Burroughs has launched an artist support pledge on Instagram where artists around the world who are, you know, in a, in a little bit of hot water right now can support each other. Um, the idea is that you sell work and once you reach £1,000, you then pledge to support another artist by purchasing a work of theirs for no more than £200. So an incredible incentive. Um, if you are an artist listening, then definitely check that out. And otherwise, that is all we've got time for this week. Thank you for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons. To contact the show, visit Anna Gammons Art on Instagram, where you can send me a message and um, I'm also doing uh, a slight Restructure of the show where I'm going to be talking to artists about how they're dealing with the coronavirus and being isolated, what they're doing to stay creative and stay sane. So if you want to get involved with that, do message me on Instagram. And I want to take the time again to remind everyone to stay home, stay safe, protect our gorgeous NHS and all of the essential workers who are keeping us safe right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See you next week at 3:30 on Resonance 104.4 FM. Have a lovely we